0: Welcome to Test & Code, a podcast about software development and software testing. I'm recording this Sunday morning, December 31st, 2017. Yep, it's the last day of the year. On today's episode, we're going to talk about test-driven development and test-first programming. But I'd like to do a look back on what happened in 2017. So I've had, um, I think I counted the other day, I think I've only had seven episodes besides this one come out this year. I was shooting for more than one a week at first, so that's that's not that great of a track record. I'm really shooting for trying to get more out uh, in 2018. So why didn't I? What was going on? Well, there's work, of course, and uh, trying to spend time with my family and my rabbit, who right now, my stupid rabbit, no, I love her, but she's, um, she's in the room with me, and she's making kind of a lot of noise. So if you hear some weird background noise, it's probably the rabbit. So, 2017, uh, I we had um, I'd spent a lot of time working with Michael Kennedy on Python Bytes. Uh, we did 52 epi- episodes in 2017. That's great. And I even uh, showed up um, earlier this month. We recorded the year in review for Python, and that one out on Talk Python. That was nice. And then, uh, because of my involvement with Michael and doing podcasting, um, I was invited by him and others to participate in a booth at PyCon this year, um, the 2017 PyCon here in Portland. And we had a booth and had got to talk with a lot of great people. And uh, during that, that 2017 PyCon, um, the book that I was writing, Python Testing with PyTest, was released in beta form, and that was available for PyCon uh, attendees first and then shortly after everybody else. The first edition hard copy was released in September and I've really had a great reaction to everybody. I appreciate everybody's support of that book and, and continued support and continued telling me that it's affecting them and I, people send me pictures of them them with the, their copy of the book all over the world and that's pretty cool. It's a lot of places I've never been. Um, we're going to be at PyCon again in 2018, uh, Michael and I and a few others. Uh, so twenty the that, that one is not in Portland. It's in uh, Columbus, Ohio, I think. I also had a business trip to Munich, and on my trip, I had a, one evening that was available, and I, I reached out to the Python user group in Munich, asked if I could come talk with them, and uh, showed up, and we had a good t- conversation about both about PyTest um, and about really whatever anybody had to Question about that was a fun experience, and I'd like to do more, um, more talking with smaller groups because um, there's a lot of great experts out there that uh, don't aren't out like out there like me trying to do podcasts and books, but are just in their day-to-day lives helping everybody else out. And there were quite a few people there helping me answer questions about testing. There, that was a fun experience. Um, yeah, so it's been a it's been a fun year. Uh, next year promises 2018 promises to be just as fun I think but today um let's let's go ahead and start looking at test driven development and test first programming as part of that um I've had a lot of questions to me to asking me more about um you know things like uh, the not just the mechanics of how to write a test but what do we put in there what what should go in there what's part of development and of course, you can't really talk about testing too much before stumbling across test-driven development, and so I'm going to have probably several episodes talking about various aspects of it, because I don't think I view test-driven development the same as a lot of people. Back in 2015, I wrote an article called, uh, well, this is not a very descriptive title, Test-First Programming slash Test-First Development, and I want to cover some of that because I think it's relevant to the conversation about test-driven development, and I'll add some commentary and we will add some more notes. The The ideas of test-first programming and test-driven development are often muddled together. However, test-first is powerful enough um, that I think that it stands on its own and should be studied separately. Test-driven development and many other agile practices build on test-first. So I think it's just not just about remembering the past that we should study test-first, but the lessons for test-first are still very important. In, in concepts, it's quite simple. Before we had XP and, and test-driven development and Scrum and everything, we had some notions of, of waterfall. There's a idea that you've got some specifications and you write some code, you write some tests, you have some QA people or some other group, or the developers write tests afterwards to make sure it all works. And that usually blows up because the testing takes like really long because you find problems. So the idea uh, around test first is well, let's let's uh, let's write those tests first before we get into the uh, development, and it'll help us during development. So essentially, I've written, I've seen it written down something like: first, write the specification for a feature, then write the te- some tests to fit the specification, and then write code until all of the tests pass. That's that's kind of essentially it, really. Um, but I don't think that those three steps are quite as helpful as they need to be. So um, I've broken it down, I've got a seven step plan that I've listed, but I I wanna talk first about the specification. This idea that you have a specification to start with is a a little flawed. If you have a specification, it might be vague, it might be incomplete, it's probably subject to change during during the course of development. It might be at a completely wrong level um, of specification for what you need right now. There's not enough detail or there's too much detail. Um, it also might, might not cover the failure cases. It just tells you how things ought, ought to be working. And the specification for a feature might uh, contradict other specs uh, for other features. But the most common problem is there really is no specification. There might just be a, a simple phrase in an email requesting a new feature or, or just a task assignment or a bug report or a story in the describing what you ought to do, and that's not much of a specification. Instead of those three steps, starting with specification, let's think about it differently, um, because really test-driven development and test-first is often not about a specification, but about what the developer thinks that the software should do. So here's the seven steps. First, think about what you want to do. Then uh, think about what it looks like from the customer's perspective, or through an API, or through through the function through the calling function what what is your functionality going to do think about how to test it now when a lot of people freeze up when we say think about how to test it but but just think about this what if you ran it how would you know that it was working next right just write the happy path test case that's kind of how you write it if you were going to test it in the in the repl or through the user interface just write that in a test case then write your production code You've got your code, you've got your test. And if it passes, then expand expand your test to have more complete behavior coverage. And then uh, write production more production code to cover to pass all those more tests. So those are the seven steps, and, I've, and they're listed in the old article that I'll link to. However, each of these is way more complex than just one line implies. Each one of these is done on every feature, every behavior, every fix. The steps are in order. It is a progression. There's also loops, iterations, revisits, parallelism is possible for some steps, and welcome. That means you can, you, you can throw more people at, at the tests and implementation at some stages. It might make sense. So let's jump into them a little bit more. Think about what you want to do. Collect requirements, if you have them, for a feature. Define the feature. It should be, at least be defined in your head. Try to understand the customer problem that you're trying to solve. What's the real core requirement to solve the problem? If you don't have, even if you don't have written requirements, you have an idea of what the thing ought to do. And I think it's important to write that down, uh, even just on on a couple pieces of paper to understand, just so you have an understanding of what the big picture of the feature is before you jump into the code. So now's a great time to nail down what the minimum viable scope for the feature is. Not all of the different corner cases, but the first iteration should stick to the minimal scope. You can expand it iteratively after you have something to work with. So next, think about what it looks like from the customer's perspective. What's the API gonna look like? Does this solve the customer problem? Is it clean? Is it awkward? Can you imagine using that API or that user interface? Is it easy to explain? What's it gonna look like? What are the input elements needed? Does the customer have those input elements or the, the calling function? Are they really needed or are they just things that you want to pass in for other reasons? Is it reasonable for the user to know that information that you're asking for? So these are all API questions. We're, we're talking about design here. I think it's really good to think about design in this manner all the time. Just get in the habit. If you're writing this stuff down and you think you think maybe you're just trying to convince yourself that it's right, that maybe you're, there's some fishiness to it or maybe it's still a little awkward, Get some feedback, grab a colleague out of the hallway, ask them to look at it and and take a look at some of this stuff. Even write this stuff down in a document and and push it through as a code review to try to get other people involved and comment on it. If it's an important feature that it's, it's way more important to get, get feedback early if you can. I recommend even doing that uh, during implementation. You can push it out, say, I want some feedback on it and then just move ahead to the next stage. But as soon as you get some feedback, it might alter your course. Third, think about how to test it. How do we know if the feature works? How do we know if it's not working? What can go wrong? Can we check for that? What is, what is the mission critical part of this feature? How can this be tested? Is any API missing to allow automated tests to interrogate the system for error conditions? Uh, this is important. There's a lot of times where things could go wrong. You can think about how something could go wrong, but there's we haven't included an API even a back even a debug API to check to see if that was the case it's, this this is oftentimes a, a good time to start adding some API that's not available to end users but is available to tests and developers what's the riskiest part of the feature and how can that be tested i'm asking a lot of these questions because you can just assume for complex functionality and complex systems you can't test it all you can't test everything so we're trying to figure out what are the most important test cases, and while your head's in the game of trying to figure out what the API is, what the customer needs are, and how the thing is supposed to work, is the great, really the perfect time to ask yourself those questions of what are all the what are all the, the test cases that are really important to be covered for this. If you've got people around, you can uh, just give somebody a call or talk to it. go go ask somebody or pull pull together a few people in a meeting and and. And talk about it. So about the happy path test cases. This is the fourth step. Writing the tests allow you to use the API. If the API is cumbersome, the tests will be a pain to write. If so, change the API. Make it easier to use. It's one of the great things about writing tests during de- during and before development is that you get to you get to use the API before you're committed to before it's expensive to change it write enough tests to satisfy the following the feature is being tested the way the customer would use it and every function of the api is being used by at least one test are the functions left over the, are there functions left over that you didn't use can you remove this api function without limiting the user if you can then do so take note of all the things that you needed to test that weren't captured in step 3 while you're writing the Happy path test case you, and looking through the needed or unneeded API, you might want to change the full test coverage that you needed. So now write, write the production code. Write the production code to make one of the tests passed. Keep going until all the tests passed. Since I use PyTest, I rely heavily on xFail. So if I've written all the tests and I have no code, they're all expected to fail. I mark them all as uh, xFail. I, I can do this. I don't always do it, but it is a possibility. Take note of the things that you'll need to test that weren't captured in the in the steps three and four. What are the three and four? The thinking about how to test it and the happy path test case. So while you're writing production code, you're gonna stumble across things that need, more tests that are needed. You can just add them to the list of things that could be tested. You don't have to write the test right away. Take note of the features that y- you want to add but aren't needed to take them met- make the test pass. There's all, all sorts of, it's really natural to want to add bells and whistles and new features. And once you get in it, you're like, oh my gosh, the user might want to know the how many uh, to-do items there are or or other neat things. We, sh- we should just add that. Okay, it's good to think about that stuff, but don't just go implement it right away. Just capture the idea somewhere on your to-do list or your someday maybe list. Do it in, an, in a future iteration. Uh, especially. It gives you the opportunity to prioritize prioritize things. But while you're developing code, don't ignore your uh, ability to think about a new functionality that might be easy to add or, you know, notes about functionality that you know you're going to add, but they might be kind of hard. But write those down. Don't lose them. So number six, expand the tests for more complex behavior coverage. So we've got our set of tests. We've got a happy path test case. We've got some production code that makes... A test pass. Um, oh wait, uh, keep going until all the tests pass. That was part of step five. So all of our tests pass. Passing now. So now we want to expand the coverage. So you look at your set of tests. You have the feature, the API, and look at the feature to see if you've covered all the behavior. Are all the error conditions tested? Have you made sure that the critical and risky parts of the system are tested fully? So. There, while you're looking at that, it might be you might notice that there are new tests that need to be written, um, and uh, this coverage bit is a little bit tricky. It takes a lot. There's a lot of skill, skills and tools that we'll talk about in future episodes to try to come up with how do you tell if you've had enough tests. So I'm gonna kind of skip over this part a little bit because um, it it deserves a full episode or two or three or more in itself so you've expanded the tests they based on skill sets that you've learned in future episodes how how vague is that anyway so number 7 write the production code to make all the tests pass so this is this we've just sort of iterated we've added more tests so we have to make sure that we uh, add more code to make those pass is that really my seventh step it seems weird i should rewrite this article um anyway it's all of this sound for for a very criti- mission critical functionality, this could all this extra process might be um, might be a lot of extra work, uh, but it's it'll save you going down the wrong path, and uh, it saves a lot of uh, saving going down the wrong path. Like basically, it's as you as you're driving down the highway, it's worthwhile every once in a while to pull over to this in a rest stop and check a map to make sure you're still going in the right direction, or to use a GPS. That's what I think writing tests while you're developing code is like. And I think that that's a good thing. So, why is it important to do this? Why test first? It's undeniable that for complex software, regardless of whether or not you use TDD or test first, thorough tests are essential to have in place before you call the software done. You can write tests before the code, you can write tests after you write the code, but there are really good reasons to write the tests first before you write the code. You can use the test to guide you in what code to write next. You can use the test to tell you when you're done coding and to help avoid feature creep. Instead of adding the features, uh, all the features while you're developing, you've added those to the list and hopefully had some more feedback to try to uh, figure out whether or not features are important before you just throw them in there. If it's the same person writing the tests and the production code, then the assumptions you make while writing the code will color the way you write the tests and so that you just write those Good tests and avoid you. You're not really thinking about the customer, you're thinking about your code, and you'll miss ways to use your code that could be problematic. Writing the test before you write the code will mitigate this somewhat. There's still problems with having one person thinking about the test and the code at the same time. Thinking about writing the test can help you understand what the test specification should be and which parts of the specification, if you have a specification that's vague or has holes in it or has contradictions it can help you to try to look at getting those answers answered by the people that can answer that earlier on in the process and not later since you're reusing the api during test development cumbersome parts of the api can be fixed before the api is implemented holes and inconsistencies in the api and the specification can be found out early the tests will get written if you put off tests until the the until after you think your code is done and you've maybe dog fooded or demoed it manually, there's a reasonable chance that you will ship this code before you have your automated test done. And then your customers will find the bugs that your testing could have caught. And that's what people think about when they think, one of the th- things that people think about is you could potentially ship bugs. But there's a really big, uh, a larger risk there that I think is a larger risk and that is, you're going to put an API in production that might need to change. If you write the tests af- after you've shipped, during your testing, you might realize that the API really sucks, and you have to change the API. Now you've got a backwards, co- you've got a problem with backwards compatibility. If you change the API, what do you do? You have to make a decision as to whether or not you're going to uh, keep supporting the old API and have a new, easier to use API or if you're going to make backwards compatibility changes. It's way better to make those decisions before you've shipped that, that release to customers. So be honest, you're going to do some testing anyway to make sure your code works. You're going to do manual testing or dog fooding or just trying it out. Why not just go ahead and write some functional tests first and use those to help development and develop and debug your code. I know that a lot of you Python developers are out there testing things with the REPL. Instead of testing with the REPL or just right after you're done testing things out with the REPL, go into your text editor and add a test to do the exact same thing you just did in the REPL. Just do it in a little test function and throw an assert at the end. And if things, if you've broken things later, it'll just fail and it'll be good. So my description of what test-first development in test-first is will sound a lot like test-driven development. I do think the line is blurry. And to be honest, my version of TDD resembles uh, what I've presented here a lot closer than a lot of versions of TDD. I think the status quo of how we're teaching testing to everybody, uh, it gets me riled up. And uh, especially in the evening, if you talked with me about it, it'll be animated and you'll be amused. Anyway, I don't want to leave it right here. I want to Cover one more thing, so that's that is test first development, and it does fit together with test driven development quite a bit. So uh, instead of leaving you hanging about my thoughts on test driven development, I'm going to point you to a lot of the thoughts that I captured in a article. It's called "Is TDD Dead?" And um, of course, I didn't come up with that name. This is a this is a talk with um, this. There was a talk in 2014, a series of talks. That was that was kind of started off by a Rails conference talk by David Heinemeyer Hansen uh, uh, talking about TDD being dead or long live testing, and then he wrote a bunch of blog posts about it. And then he had these there were these conversations between him and Martin Fowler and Kent Beck uh, to talk about it. But so I have a write up um, about what my opinion's in how how this all went and links to all these talks. But I want to. F- uh, pull a couple bits out of it so my opinions i love test-driven development but my version of test-driven development is probably quite different than yours ever since i read about test first programming and tdd in the early days of extreme programming i grabbed onto it like a shipwreck survivor holding onto a flotation device when taken is just a darn good idea and a goal tdd is superb when taken is the only true professional way to do things is just as annoying as waterfall. I think TDD is most useful when used at a system level. The system where you the system is where the users interact with the software, so that's where the most of your tests should be, and the tests are most important. Focus on what customers need your new functionality to do. Customers on focus on what customers need your new functionality to do, and whether or not your functionality is fulfilling that. The first test should be is your feature actually satisfy those needs as a system. Functional system tests from the user perspective. Isn't that what's most important? I want my code to be agile, to be adaptable, to be able to refactor it whenever I want to. It's the user system tests that I really don't want to break. A redesign of part of my system may break many unit tests, but it better not break any functional system tests. So isn't system level The level that you should place the most um, effort in your testing? I think so. So most of my contradictions between me uh, and the rest of the world is where to place, where the tests should go. Should they be at the unit level or the system level? And I think most of them should be as high in the system as possible. But both functional system tests and unit tests are important. Functional tests, I think functional is a little bit more important because that's what the care system the customer cares about, and it helps me refactor more. But unit tests are great too, especially the tricky parts of your system. I heard a, rec- I heard, a recently, uh, I heard recently a great rule of thumb. If you feel like some class or method needs an explanation with a block comment, this bit of code needs a unit test. Or maybe it just needs refactored or a better name. But anyway, also unit tests the parts that are likely to fail the parts you don't understand a lot, the parts that keep you keep getting questions about. And then bigger parts, subsystems, sub-libraries, different steps in a staged development. Test those individually. Um, these are all great things to do, and I, I'm i not telling you to not do those. But I'm going to leave it at that for now, because I think this has get, gotten a little bit long-winded and preachy. But thank you so much for your support in 2018. 20- <laughs> in 2017. And I look forward to talking with you about this and a lot of other great topics in 2018.